available on digital media, iTunes podcast, smartphone apps, and from the online website. This is Outlook, the talking newspaper for Coventry. Well, hello and welcome from me, Nigel Hewin, to this week's edition of Outlook, being recorded on Wednesday the 15th of November. And coming up in this, this programme, we start hearing about Sir David Suchet and Poirot. Also, another man, the old man of Hoy. Your hurdy-gurdy days continue with Alan. And we have a report on the Armistice Day celebrations here at the centre. And finally, uh, a little note about sending a, let's, uh, Santa sending a letter to a VI child. Uh, but of course, there's also sport, what's on in Coventry, a report from the centre here, and of course, your post bag. But as ever, we're going to start with the news with Elaine and myself. Outlook News. The Right Reverend Christopher Coxworth will have regular dealings with His Majesty in his new role as Dean of Windsor. But the former Bishop of Coventry, whose farewell service at Coventry Cathedral was attended by more than a thousand faith leaders and civic dignitaries, says the city and the region will forever hold a special place in his heart. There are some mixed emotions, he said, when reflecting on his 15-year tenure as head of the Diocese of Coventry. I will miss the people. I love the way, in Coventry especially, how people are a bit understated. They don't boast about themselves or their city, but yet they want to care for each other, support each other, and make the city the best place it can be. Serving in Coventry and Warwickshire was such a happy time for me, the King's most senior domestic chaplain added. I enjoyed working with not only other Christian leaders, but also leaders from other faith communities, and the international role that it brings, because Coventry is a well-known city throughout the world for the peace and reconciliation theme. But this new role has its own excitements and opportunities, I wait to see what my pastoral responsibilities will be with the royal family, but I'm here like any other parish priest. It will be for the dean to lead any christenings, weddings and funerals among members of the royal family and the wider community of Windsor. Mr Coxworth takes on such a venerated clerical position with a level of familiarity to fall back on, having met King Charles on numerous occasions. The Right Reverend officially starts his new position when an installation service is held at Windsor Castle on November the 23rd. His Royal Highness will then host a reception in St George's Hall among the Royal Apartments. The ceremony will likely be as well attended as that of Mr Coxworth's farewell and thanksgiving service. Retired Reverend Jim Canning said... During his 15 years in Coventry, Bishop Christopher and his wife Charlotte have become much loved by all the community and churches of this area. Many of us have come from far and wide to join in his Thanksgiving event. A long-discussed multi-million pound scheme to redevelop the city centre and demolish parts of it will start within months, officials say. The huge city centre scheme, which is being controversial with many, is finally set to start mid-next year. Plans will see the demolition of the city arcade, bull yard, 
Market Way, Sheldon Square and Hartford Street. Around 1,600 homes will be built as well as retail space, although many existing shops will be forced to move out. Developers have levered in private investment, said Councillor Jim O'Boyle. He said that the project was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, although traders hit by the demolition works have previously criticised the plans. City Centre South will mostly be made up of flats, but will also include a hotel and a cinema. Councillor O'Boyle said the money used to fund the development has been acquired by capital funding, which he claims is separate from the day-to-day spending of the local authority. Documents have revealed that last month plans were amended to increase the total number of homes up to 1,575 from 1,500. Demolition of the existing buildings is likely to begin in March 2024. Plans have been on the cards since 2011, with the latest designs also reducing the amount of retail space, says Councillor O'Boyle. He said this has been due to radical changes in how people shop. Andy Fancy of the Hill Group said the plans would include two beautiful brand new pavilion buildings where there will be grab-and-go dining areas. Plans are expected to be submitted to the local authority by the end of November. A a ban on e-bikes and e-scooters in Coventry's pedestrianised city centre will go ahead this month. It means anyone who doesn't dismount their e-bike or e-scooter in these areas and isn't exempt because of a disability could face a fine or prosecution. The ban will come into force on the 20th of November and the areas it will cover are Upper Precinct, Hartford Street, Broadgate Square and most of the Lower Precinct and Market Way. It comes after people contacted their councillors about people riding too fast and in a way which made pedestrians scared for themselves, scared for the safety of their children. Councillor Khan clarified that e-scooters aren't allowed under law on any roads or public places whereas e-bikes are allowed if they are under a certain speed limit. He said, Nothing in this report should be construed by anybody to take the view that we are suggesting in any way that e-scooters are legal, because they are not. I want to also make clear, as well as nothing in this report affects the use of any disabled vehicles, and that they should be able to be used by disabled people. They have an exemption in those cases. But in respect to all of these forms of transport, we're asking or advising everybody to use them in a manner which does not cause other pedestrians in the centre to be afraid. Director of Transport Colin Knight also said the council will be looking at other routes in the centre, and has some funding from Active Travel England for this. We need to work on making sure there is a clearly defined network of paths that are suitable for cyclists to use and promote those, he said. Councillor O'Boyle also claimed for more crackdowns on illegal e-bikes by police officers, which he claimed would be more effective than a nicely written sign and would send a really powerful message. 
Hundreds of homes will be built on former Coventry Green Belt land as councillors say the city needs housing. But residents are said to be fed up with the level of development near them, a meeting heard. Plans for a 388-home estate on farmland in Kersley were approved unanimously by the city's planning committee last Thursday. Committee member Councillor Kevin Mayton labour stressed homes are needed. And meeting chairman Councillor Lindsay Harvard also labour agreed, saying Councillor Mayton is absolutely right, those houses are desperately needed. He referred to 16,500 families on the housing waiting list and thousands of young people desperate to get on the housing ladder. Councillors voted to give the project planning permission as had been recommended by council officers. The scheme includes 388 homes, of which 97 will be affordable, 6 hectares hectares of open space, and over £9 million worth for infrastructure and services. The development is part of an urban extension in Kersley, involving 3,100 homes, a primary school, and a new link road set out in the 2017 local plan. All protected trees and most of the site's hedgerows will be kept with only minor tree and hedgerow removals for access and there will be diversity improvements. Amazon workers launched a series of strikes in a long-running dispute over pay. Members of the GMB union at the online giant's Coventry site were walking out for three days and again on November the 24th, Black Friday. The union announced that around a 1,000 workers will be on strike after criticising a pay offer it said was worth a pound an hour. Black Friday, one of the busiest shopping days of the year, is expected to be hit by strike action internationally, with Amazon workers set to take industrial action in Europe and the USA. Rachel Fagan, GMB organiser, said... The action will hit some of Amazon's busiest days in the lead-up to Black Friday and will bring total days lost to industrial action to nearly 30. This is an unprecedented and historic moment with low-paid workers taking on one of the world's most powerful corporations. An Amazon spokesman said, We regularly review our pay to ensure we offer competitive wages and benefits. By April 2024, our minimum starting pay will have increased to £12.30 and £13 an hour, depending on location, which is an increase of 20% over two years and 50% since 2018. JLR has put its troubles behind it as it continues to increase sales and profits while surging ahead with a £15 billion investment plan to rejuvenate Jaguar with a range of battery electric cars and press on with exciting plans for its other house of brands including Range Rover, Discovery and Defender. For a company that was seriously in the doldrums only five years ago, it's a remarkable turnaround. It is clear that CEO Adrian Mardell and his board have their hands firmly on the tiller as they steer the company through reimagined strategy of modern luxury car design. 
For the second quarter of 2023-24, that's July to September, JLR delivered record sales and revenues where it sold over 96,000 cars, up 29% on last year, and posted a 6.9 billion revenue, up 30% on last year. This means it's turned last year's loss of £173 million into a profit before tax of £442 million. JLR is now investing £1.4 billion over the next five years in its Solihull and Halewood factories to produce next generation electric cars. The factory in Nitra in Slovakia, which builds the Defender and Discovery vehicles, will also be going to be updated to build electric cars. Whilst JLR has also just opened a future energy lab at its Whitley Engineering Centre here in Coventry to develop electric drive units in-house, which cost £250 million, and we will create 300 new technician jobs. And of course, we know that GLR's Indian owners, the Tata Group, are investing £4 billion to build a, a, a battery gear factory in the UK at Somerset, which is due to be in production from 2026. It's clear that Tata are totally committed to their jewel in the crown, which is GLR. A senior councillor has called for tougher punishment for fly tippers a sustained mattress, discarded rug and filthy clothes were dumped on the city streets. Coventry City Council has vowed to take action against those behind the latest fly-tipping incident on Newdigate Road in Foleshill. The council have confirmed that they are in the process of taking action against the culprits, who are also believed to have dumped rubbish on Peel Street, Helen Street, Mulliner Street and Waterman Road. Notices have also been issued for private landowners to clear any waste that may have accumulated. Foleshill has been plagued with fly tipping for several years, with residents describing the neighbourhood as drab and dirty. Figures previously revealed that the neighbourhood had over 8,000 reports of dumped rubbish between April 2020 and October 2022. The City Council said they take reports of fly-tipping very seriously and frequently patrol hotspots, including Foles Hill. Officers from the environmental health team are said to search for evidence within the waste before clearing the land of any rubbish that has been dumped. Councillor Jim O'Boyle added, It is completely unacceptable, antisocial and bad for the environment. I would love to see tougher punishments meted out to those responsible. It is a really hard battle, but we are making progress on it, and I wish there was more we could do, but we are tackling it. Police are warning residents to be vigilant against courier fraud scams, which are targeting elderly and vulnerable people across the region. Courier fraud involves criminals posing as police officers or bank officials and convincing victims to hand over their cash, bank cards and PIN numbers or other valuables to a courier. The scammers typically contact their victims by phone and claim there is a problem with their bank account or that, the, or that they are a victim of fraud or identity theft. They may also claim to be investigating a crime and need the victim's help to gather evidence. 
Once the victim has been convinced the caller is legitimate, the scammers will ask them to withdraw cash from their bank account and hand it over to a courier or to hand over their bank card and PIN numbers. They may also ask the victim to purchase expensive items, such as gold or jewellery, and hand them over to a courier. Courier fraud is a particularly insidious type of scam because it often targets elderly and vulnerable people and they can be very persuasive. West Midlands police have warned people to never give out bank account details or PIN numbers to anyone over the phone, even if they claim to be from their bank or the police. Those who receive calls from someone claiming to be from the police or bank should hang up immediately and wait a few moments to ensure the line has been disconnected. They can then call the number on their bank card to verify their identity or or phone the police on 101 if they're unsure. If possible, use a different phone line or mobile to make this call. People should never withdraw cash from their bank account or purchase expensive items at the request of someone contacting them over the phone. And if a courier arrives to collect cash, cards or valuables, refuse to hand them over and call the police Mm. on 999 immediately. Mm. More than 450 cannabis plants with a street value of £500,000 were seized as police raided three cannabis farms in the same Coventry Street. And two people were arrested after the Hillfields neighbourhood team acted on information from local residents about properties in Colchester Street. Police found the residential properties had been converted for drug production, with the electricity dangerously bypassed after executing warrants on Wednesday last week. Two men aged 21 and 32 were arrested and later charged with production of cannabis and abstracting electricity. They were remanded in custody after appearing at Coventry Magistrates Court last Thursday. Every cannabis farm we destroy helps prevent a vicious circle of street deals, further offending and they won't ruin lives or pollute our communities, a West Midlands police spokesman said. If you suspect there is criminal activity where you live, you can get in touch with us by calling 101. Residents have demanded the return of shop staff to the tills as they praise a supermarket chain for reintroducing face-to-face checkouts in the northwest of England. Booth supermarkets have scrapped almost all of its self-service machines as relieved customers say about time too. Employees will soon return to serving customers face-to-face in a move that has been praised by many. Booths say they took the decision as they want to deliver a better customer experience. It sparked widespread debate, debate from residents with many saying they needed to do this in Coventry and Warwickshire. Booth's is believed to be the first supermarket chain to move away from using self-service tills, which have become increasingly common in the UK. Shoppers will find these types of checkouts at big-name supermarkets in the city, including Tesco, Asda, Aldi, Morrisons and Sainsbury's. Overwhelmingly, residents welcomed the Booth's initiative and pleaded to to be followed in all supermarkets. 
Coventry has been awarded over £200,000 share of a swimming pool fund to help with rising bills. The £20 million Sport England Swimming Pool Support Fund is intended to help people become more active by supporting increased operating costs at leisure sites. Local authorities across the country had to bid for funding and Coventry City Council will receive 216000 It will go towards the energy and chemical costs of the swimming pools at the WAVE and XL Leisure Centre. Out of 317 local authorities in England, just 103 were selected to receive the funding. Councillor Cameron Khan, Cabinet Member for Public Health and Sport, said... We are delighted to have worked on this bid with CV Life and find out that we are successful in securing the funding. This money will go towards essential costs at both leisure facilities to ensure they run as normal during the difficult time everyone is enduring. The cost of energy bills is extremely high right now and this funding will help us provide the same fantastic service to all of our leisure centre users. Swimming is a valuable life skill for people of all ages and contributes to both physical and mental health and well-being. So it's really important to us that we can still enable our residents to stay active and use our pools. Sport England's Director of Place, Lisa Dodd-Main, said, We know just how vital swimming pools and leisure centres are to our nation's activity levels which is why Sport England is proud to have played a central role in the delivery of this fund. Many pools have faced a real and significant threat to their survival this year, as local authorities and operators battle the challenge of increased energy and maintenance costs, weakened reserves and difficulties with retaining staff. A controversial section of Coventry's Binley Cycleway is set to be reviewed for the third time after hundreds backed petitions against the latest plans. It is the final part of the £8 million six kilometre long route from the city centre to University Hospital that needs approval from Coventry City Council. The stretch down Clifford Bridge Road between Brinklow Road and Dorchester Way has been redesigned twice since the project started in 2020 and subject to three rounds of consultation. The latest version, revealed in June, has some shared use pedestrian and cyclist areas instead of a fully separated cycle track all the way along. But the redesign has been hit with opposition from locals, with hundreds supporting two petitions against it, according to a council report. Almost 600 people signed a petition against the scheme, claiming it would be unsafe and affect traffic in the area, and calling for it to be re-evaluated and moved and designed if, if safety and accessibility concerns cannot be dealt with. Another petition with over 180 signatures called for this part of the route to be built to a higher quality standard by keeping apart walkers, drivers and cyclists as set out in the original plans. But achieving a fully separate cycleway as in the rest of the Binley cycleway scheme will be more difficult on this road according to the council's report. Cabinet Member Councillor Patricia Heatherton will make a decision on whether to agree with the recommendation for another review. 
views from a survey filled in by 247 residents on the latest plans for this stretch of cycleway were also discussed in the council report. But the report also said the council should respond to other concerns raised by residents, ranging from parking to possible conflict between walkers and cyclists on a shared route. If another review mm-hmm. goes ahead, it would be based on seven key principles, including that the road should stay in its current width, no parking capacity should be removed, and cycle lanes should be fully separated as a default position with strong reasons given if they are not. Motorfest Coventry will return in 2024 with a series of special anniversary celebrations set to be among the highlights of next year's festival. Organisers of Motorfest have released the dates of next year's popular event, which will be on Saturday, June the 1st and Sunday, June the 2nd. The traditional motorcycle ride-in is again set to be the main event on the festival programme. There will also be two major anniversary celebrations, with Motorfest celebrating its 10-year anniversary and the Vintage Sports Car Club marking their 90th year. The Vintage Sports Car Club is active in every aspect of motoring and motorsport for pre-war cars and is one of the largest and best regarded motoring clubs in the world. As part of their 90th anniversary year, members and their cars will attend Motorfest 2024 to take part in a series of displays in what is set to be one of the highlights of the festival. James Noble, Motorfest Coventry Festival Director, said, As well as providing a showcase for Coventry's motoring heritage, we will also be working with event partners such as Coventry City Council to demonstrate the best in sustainable transport, low-carbon monitoring and advanced automotive and electric vehicle technology at next year's show. As with the 2023 festival, The 2024 event will also have a significant future technology focus with a showcase of the latest alternatively fuelled vehicles, electric cars and advanced automotive technology. Thank you. So uh, that uh, completes the review of this week's local news with Elaine and myself. And as ever, we're talking about the Resource Centre. Welcome back, Hugh, this week. Thank you very much. Yes, I got diverted last week (laughs) with all sorts of uh, different things going on, so I had to ask Joe to step in. Uh, One of the things I got diverted with was preparations for our Poppy event that took place on Saturday to mark Armistice Day. Now... uh, Those of you who've been to the centre will know that we've got uh, a very large and really quite spectacular cascade of poppies down the side side of uh, Boston Lodge. And this this, uh, is all down, it has to be said, to Joe Proctor uh, in the craft group and just various other things here as well, creative writing. Um, But Joe came with an idea earlier in the year that she wanted to do this uh, cascade of poppies. Uh, So uh, she has worked really, really hard 
Hard, uh, and so have the craft group, and so is Davinda, who also helps out the craft group, um, and the Earls and Finham WIs, and many, many other people, sometimes just random volunteers um, who have had no other connection with us, um, got together and they've made over 3,500 poppies. Uh, some of them crocheted, some of them cut out, um, just absolutely fantastic work. It's very, it goes from the roof right down to the ground. It does, it's absolutely enormous. enormous. Very, and, very impressive. Uh, so it goes, uh, so it's been up since uh, last Friday. Uh, on Saturday, we held this, uh, this little event. Now, unfortunately, we didn't really manage to get enough people there. Um, that was largely due to being overly busy and not being able to publicise this as well as we ought to have done. But it was a lovely event anyway. Um, it wasn't a fundraiser as such, because, um, you know, it's, it, it's, in a way, it's not our thing and it's not that. But Joe done some lovely crafts, um, all incredible stuff, actually. Mm, These um, yes. fantastic um, bird feeders made yes. out of old records folded up into the shape of poppies are quite extraordinary things. <coughs> Um, she organised a raffle and then we did some refreshments uh, and we raised over £250 and actually that number keeps on creeping, creeping up a little bit as well. Uh, so we held separate collections <coughs> for blind veterans and especially for Royal British Legion of course because you know, poppy, uh, poppies uh, really are, are, are their thing so you know, we didn't really want to muscle in on that but um, you know, I really have enjoyed how you know, this has been very much something that's been led by you know, people who use the centre, something they wanted to do, and you know, I've been very pleased to help um, facilitate that. So the uh, Poppy Cascade, let me try that again. The Poppy Cascade uh, will be up until uh, next Monday, uh, at which point we will take it down, dry it off, probably, and uh, and, and and put it in storage. Yes. Um, you certainly can't be <coughs> de- demolished. It's no, gosh, it. no, it's, it's fantastic. It's mm. a, you know, it's a lovely piece of work. So we, we will find other ways, you know, another uh, uh, to use it, you know, in future years. Um, talking of uh, Remembrance Weekend, I, I was uh, very honoured to be invited by the Lord Mayor uh, to uh, attend the Remembrance uh, Day service up at the War Memorial um, on Sunday last. Um, you may know that we are one of the Lord Mayor's uh, chosen charities this year. Um, so. Oh, not only you know, it was the first time I'd been been to it and had had the uh, had been in the good seats. Yes, put it this way. So your dicky bow on. I did not have my dicky bow on. It was a, it was a little nippy and a little wet. Um, yes. I ended up with a, a, a soggy body, as they say. But uh, you know that's, that's you know yes. uh, all in a good cause. But all in a good cause. Mm. Yes, and it was a, you know a very good and moving ceremony. Uh, now. Uh, Yes, I needed to warm up afterwards. And speaking of warming up, of course, yes. we have we have the winter warmer coming on the second uh, of December. That's a Saturday, of course. Uh, it'll be uh, running from eleven o'clock in the morning until three o'clock in the afternoon. Now we do need some more things for the nearly new table, the gift table. So if you've ever been given a gift that you know you didn't really like and it's still in pristine condition and just gathering in a bit of dust, well, bring it in. We'll dust it, um, uh, and then we can uh, we can uh, put it up for sale. Um, uh, for, so somebody else might get get it, uh, and they might like it. It might come back next year. It might come back <laughs> next year. You never know. Um, but uh, we're also still looking for some um, uh, small non-alcoholic things for the bottle tombola um, as well. We've got quite a lot of alcohol <laughs> being gifted to us, which is all very good of everybody. But uh, yes, we we could also do with some. You think someone's giving you a hint? <laughs> <laughs> I need to drink more. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, uh, we'll also have a raffle on the day, of course. 
and definitely lots of lovely homemade refreshments. So there's going to be pork and stuffing batches. Uh, there are going to be uh, soup. There's going to be two soups. Uh, there's going to be uh, my special uh, spiced pumpkin soup and a another soup that I have yet to decide on. Um, it's definitely going to be You're pumpkin soup. You're putting your apron to do this yourself, are you? Oh yes, good yes. You. Well, I do. I do. I do that now. <laughs> yeah. um, and. Yes, so yeah, we, we, it's going to be pumpkin soup because I've got 17 pumpkins sitting <laughs> at home and they, I'm not going to eat them all, so, so you bloody well are. <laughs> Pardon my French, but there we are. Uh, what we do need, though, is uh, people to help um, make cakes for us. Uh, the cake sale is uh, a really really good part of the day um, and uh, we would love uh, people to make some cakes the loaf ones are really good um, the ones you put in loaf tins uh, if you could make some cakes uh, y- it, you can make them well in advance and actually put them in the freezer providing they're wrapped up well and in the freezer you know, they will be absolutely fine and just bring them uh, the day before the uh, before the uh, event so on the on the 1st of December or you know have somebody bring them in and uh, that would be absolutely great. Um, so if you can, you know, if everybody made like one or two cakes, you know, then you know, we, we'll, be, we'll be in clover. So thank you very much. Uh, if you want to come to the event and you need the bus, um, you need to uh, let Claire or Carl know. Um, Claire in the mornings. Yep. So that would be, uh, if you want the bus, do give them a call. Uh, you know the number by now, but it's 024 now we're coming up uh, to another theatre trip um, down at the Criterion Theatre, and uh, they're sort of, uh, it's not the pantomime, they're Christmas, lighter-hearted uh, December show, let's put it that way, it's, we're, we're a little little further off, I mean it's so light-hearted, it's Arsenic and Old Lace. Oh, which is the old film as well. Well, yes, that shows uh, my age, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, th- I think actually the play may have come before the film. Oh, right, in, okay. indeed. Um, but uh, you know, it's a you know delightful Fun. comedy about yes. murder, yeah. uh, amongst other things. Anyway, um, so uh, it's an uproarious comedy, uh, comedy telling the story of two charming, gentle old ladies, pillars of the community, who rescued their poor, lonely lodgers from the sorrows of the world by poisoning them. What is Alec I think it's uh, probably I think yes. It probably yeah, almost yeah. certainly. Yeah. So this was last performed at the Criterion over 25 years ago, uh, and um, it's very hard to find comedies that have, la- you know, last that have lasted that long. Really, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was a huge Broadway hit in the early 1940s, and then it's a, a relative staple of the of the stage ever since. Really, and so the films. and the films, mm-hmm. yeah. God, I love those old black and white ones, though. Yeah. Uh, the Lady Killers, he was in. That was another yes, one. That was another right, one. Yes, that was a yes. <laughs> I think my favourite one, though, yeah. is um, is Kind Hearts and Coronets. Yes. I say this. Anyway, yes. Uh, uh, I, I digress. Yes. I digress. <laughs> um, we normally go to the theatre, try to go on, on a Wednesday, but I have to report that that day is... The, the, the tickets are already sold out. Uh, they've got but four left on the Wednesday. I think there might be a special something happening on that day. But anyway, there's, there, are, there are no more tickets for that Wednesday. I can't do the Tuesday this time, but uh, we do. Uh, so we will go then on Thursday, the 14th of December. Uh, so we'll organise a touch tour for 5pm as usual. And then we'll come back up here for fish and chips and then back down to the theatre for the show. Those of you who've been before will know the routine. Um, Those of you who would like to come but uh, haven't yet done it, that's the routine. It's not hard. 
Uh, tickets are £12.50 uh, each, plus the usual bus fare, uh, plus uh, your fish and chips. So we'll take, them, we'll take the money for the ticket, really, as soon as you say that you want to come. Um, bus fare, we can sort out at another time, and fish and chips, um, uh, we sort out on the day. So, as I say, this show is likely to sell out soon, so I'm going to pre-buy pre-buy, but I'm going to buy 12 tickets, um, which is the sort of usual sort of number we get um, for this outing. Uh, so it's very much going to be on a first-come, first-served basis. Uh, basically, one of those tickets is going to be mine, so there's going to be 11 <laughs> spaces, um, possibly 10, because I might need another volunteer with me. So, But once they're gone, they're gone, and it will be potluck if there are any more. Um, so uh, if you want to come... Uh, Give, sign up with Heather or Carol in reception uh, and let them know soonest, soonest. Um, I know one person uh, had already signed up for the next trip um, just after we'd done the last one and I hadn't, uh, hadn't actually come up with a date yet. So um, Now, earlier on today, I spent uh, a very interesting hour online doing an online training course um, with an organisation called Acton Energy um, that uh, provides uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of support and advice for people struggling with energy bills uh, and home insulation and all things like that. So it was, a, it was a, a very, very good session. They seem to be a charity with uh, their heads absolutely screwed on the right way and they've got lots of ways that they can help people who are are struggling with the cost of living um, in terms of their heating this winter. So, uh, if you are having a problem with your, uh, you know, with affording to heat your home, uh, and or you know you're struggling with how the bills manage, or even struggling to be in contact with the with your energy provider. Um, Give us a call. Come and talk to us, and then we can refer you on to these other people. Um, that's a really good model because they they absolutely know what they're talking about. Obviously, they gave us a rundown of what they do today, um, but what they do is really quite impressive. So we are you know we are now a referring organisation for them. So do please give us a call if you're struggling with your energy bills. Um, if you think it's all going to go a bit to pot this this winter, um, uh, if you've got too many drafts, you know if you've got damp and mould in your house these sorts of things then uh, give us a call and we will put you in contact with them and they were act, act on energy yes yeah, so so the the Com- national charity uh, well i don't know where they are but this is definitely the coventry branch so so they were talking definitely so, about coventry so they are locals so can yes they oh, get, get round you pretty quickly oh absolutely yeah. yes yeah. yeah and they you know they're, they're, they're tapped into you know various grants um yeah. that that are available locally that they can access you know to support yeah. people as well Sounds so good. they're a very very good group um now you know in general you know we since we got this preventative support grant earlier in the year that's um, allowed us to employ Cody and, and, and Chris um, they you know we're, we're doing a lot more casework now so if you've got a particular problem that you're struggling with because of your eyesight um, or if it's a more general problem um, you can come to us and we will try and support you and help you out it could be anything from benefits advice to product advice to any number of things really indeed um, uh, heating and um, you know and, and energy bills um, if we can't do it then we will refer you to You're people who can, who can yes. we, we know we know someone who can yes. exactly so uh, uh, 
you know, casework is now a, you know, a significant part of the work that we're doing here. You know, we'll take your individual problems and try and sort them out or get somebody else to sort them out for you. So if you've got some issues that you want to, um, uh, want some help sorting out, give us a call and we'll start, we'll raise a case and off we go. Can and I... Yeah, you you were talking about trusted trader, which is the same sort of thing. Yes, now the trusted. Yes, well, yes, we are slowly gathering names uh, on the trusted trader scheme. It's not really quite as fast or as comprehensive as I would uh, as I as I would like, Um, but you will know that we are trying to gather from you uh, out there in listening land the uh, the names of traders that you you, you've used, who are good, you know, uh, you know, do a good job, you know, have been reasonable and have been you know good uh, good to deal with, Uh, because then. We, we can share those share those names with other people who often ask us for uh, information uh, about traders that they can uh, they can employ. Uh, one last thing, then um, uh, I've also had an email um, from a researcher at the University of Warwick um, who's uh, investigating how disability affects people uh, in accessing transport and she's quite interested in uh, visual impairment people with visual impairments and she wants to do a focus group which could take place here at the center on a particular day so we're looking maybe five six seven people you know that sort of number but it could it could be more could be less so if you're interested in taking part um, please could you let me know you can either leave a message at reception for me um, or speak to me directly and I'll put your name down the list so if I uh, when I'm able to contact um, this person I will say yes uh, we have some people for you so um, that's it is she hoping to be able to influence something by doing this yes absolutely no 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 she's uh, she's already a published uh, researcher in this field oh good Um, and uh, I think you know she's you know she's uh, you know given papers and what have you Mm. at uh, conferences she has influence yes yes. government you know government advisors and what have you have have, have been to or local government advisors have been to so uh, but Everybody has recognised that actually there is a lack of um, information about lived experience within the um, examples that, they, uh, that, uh, that have been presented. So uh, she would like some help on there. And as you know, we are a local group, and we like to do these things occasionally. Yeah, we know we've done a few things yeah. like this in the past, and um, uh, you know, and pe- sometimes people find it really interesting. Yeah. And it's a good way to get things off your chest uh, if the transport system is really irritating you as well. Not difficult. <laughs> Not difficult. Anyway, so that's it uh, from me this week. And Lovely. I should, with all things being you, who will be back with you next. Excellent. Thank you very much, Hugh. Just before I, uh, I sign off now, I'm going to say I forgot to tell you what uh, lighting up and lighting down is. Didn't I? Uh, it's 7.27 in the morning when it's sunny and clouds aren't obscuring everything. And it's getting dark ever so early at 4.15 in the afternoon. And just before we move on, I'm going to preempt Sarah. Um, I know... I, I know that she hasn't included this, but I, I read or heard earlier in the week about a cricket team in uh, Gold Coast in Australia, uh, and uh, they were 176 onto the last over. They needed five runs. The bowler came in for his last uh, last over, one over, six balls. Six wickets. Now, how about that? And a double hat trick, incredible. Must, must be in Guinness Book of Records. I think it and is. That, that ball would be worth a lot of money one day. Yes, apparently. He's kept it. He's kept yes, it. Yes, he has. Uh, it's going to be mounted. Yes, I saw that. There's yes. a, quite an impressive feat, that. Well, I don't yes. follow cricket, but it was that, like. That's it. You know. Thank you. <laughs> So, what's been happening in the world of sport for the last seven days? Sarah's here again with this week's roundup. Outlook Sport.
Well, hello there and welcome listeners and a very good morning. And it is morning because I'm actually recording this on Tuesday morning. Now, can I start off by saying how lovely it was to meet all the members of the Monday Club on Monday. I was really chuffed when Dave invited me along to talk. Me? Talk? What about? But I seemed to manage to fill the void. Anyway, on with the sport. And I'll start off with the round ball, as usual. Now, at the weekend, Coventry were at home at the CBS Arena playing Stoke City. But shall we just say my introduction's about the most exciting thing of the match? Yes, it ended nil-nil and it really was a boring nil-nil. And I know Mark and Alan in the IT group on Monday agreed with me, so that's not just my warped sort of angle. Probably the most interesting thing for City was that we stood down our usual keeper, Ben Wilson, who's had a few, shall we say, iffy saves recently. And we played our number two goalie, Brad Collins, who we signed from Barnsley over the summer. But he didn't have much to do. So it wasn't really, you know, can't really pass judgment on him. Meanwhile, well done to the women of Rugby Borough who travelled to Doncaster and beat the Doncaster Bells 2-0 in the first round of the FA Cup. Onwards and upwards, ladies. Wembley, here we come. Well, wouldn't it be nice? You can dream. Now, Nuneaton's financial woes have been very well documented in the local press. At the weekend, they travelled to Stratford Town, but not to play Stratford Town, but to play a home match, because you may recall that Nuneaton are currently locked out of their stadium for not paying their rent. And it was said to be probably Nuneaton's last ever match, so a bit of a farewell match. Anyway, they put their financial woes to one side and on the pitch they beat Alf Church 3-2. Now, just to bring you up to speed with Nuneaton, they literally are living from hand to mouth. But they think with the contribution from the supporters, they have enough money for one more week. And I believe they have two away matches. In the longer term, they're obviously hoping they'll get a sponsor. But they are also looking for a ground share. Now, because, well, pretty obviously, Stratford weren't playing at home. And that's why Nuneaton were allowed to play at Stratford's home. Uh Uh-huh, got it? Anyway, they travelled to Bromsgrove to take on Sporting and I'm pleased to say they beat them 2-1. So, well done, ye beds. However, Leamington could only do a 1-1 draw with Lyston despite being at home. Now, I'm just going to say a little bit here about why I cover 
Stratford Nuneaton and Leamington but I'm not covering at the moment Racing Club Warwick, Coventry Sphinx, Coventry United and Rugby Town. Since I've taken on football I've learned a little bit more about how the non-league teams are in a pyramid effect and basically the teams that I cover, again, Leamington, Nuneaton and Stratford, are all in one tier, which is a reasonably high tier. And then down a bit, or down one, we have Coventry Sphinx and Rugby Town. And then down even further, we have Coventry United, Racing Club Warwick. So... I'll probably catch up a little bit with them a bit later in the season when things are getting really exciting. Oh yes, ladies and gents, football is exciting, particularly at the end of the season to see who goes up and who goes down. Now, at this point, can I just say I have nothing to report on rugby union, i.e. the game with the Ovoid ball. Because Coventry weren't playing this weekend and both of the internationals, the Men's World Cup and the Women's WXV, have finished. Now I'm going to talk about cricket. Yeah! You may recall last week I mentioned England's one day international team in the ha-ha-ha and finally slot. Well, they were obviously listening, Mm -hmm. because they won their remaining two matches. They beat the Netherlands. Yeah, could be expected or should be expected, but they also beat Pakistan, who are one of the bigger hitters, shall we say. England now exit the tournament, having not made the semis, but finished 7th of 10, which is a bit more respectable than 10th of 10, where they spent most of the World Championship tournament. And they were above, wait for it, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka and the Netherlands. Now, the usual big hitters apart from the current champions, England, are now playing in the semi-finals, those being South Africa, India, where the tournament's being held, Australia and New Zealand, with Pakistan and the massive hitters of Afghanistan finishing above England. The only thing I'd like to say about Afghanistan is women's rights. And I'll leave it at that. Sad to think that in Afghanistan, I doubt the women are even allowed to watch the men play. But that's another, that's a debate for another day. Now I'm going to talk about tennis. No, I'm not doing a long warm-up to Wimbledon, but quite a lot's been happening in the tennis world over the last week or so. First of all, Andy Murray has split from his coach, Ivan Lendl, for the third time. Now, to me, it's not potentially a very wise move because all of 
Andy's wins at Grand Slam majors came when Lendl was his coach. And of course, Lendl himself is a former world number one, so knows, you know, knows it from the inside. But meanwhile, a big congratulations to Great Britain women who beat Sweden 3-1 to retain their place in the elite group of the Billie Jean Cup. It must have been particularly sweet for Harriet Dart, who wasn't even named in the main team, but then she was called up as the first reserve and she played in the winning match and hit the winning shot. But anyway, well done ye women, ladies, whatever. You did very well for us. And well done also to Jack Draper, who made it to his first ever ATP final in Sofia. Sadly, he lost in the final to Adrian Marino. But you did very well, Jack, and you ain't that old, so come on, keep at it. He really is one to watch. And well done again to Novak Djokovic, who finished the year as the world's number one for the eighth time. The 36-year-old has been in all four finals of the majors, that is Australia, France, Wimbledon and America, winning all but Wimbledon. Age has absolutely no barriers for the Serb, it seems. All the best to Naomi Osaka. Naomi, again, a former women's, women's world number one, is coming back after a break with mental health issues, which was well documented. But have she had a baby eight months ago. Now, her first tentative steps are in the Brisbane Open, but I suspect she's hoping for a wild card invite to the Australian Open. So I'll keep you posted. But it was quite sad news yesterday I heard about Emma Raducanu, who was due to play, I think it was an exhibition match, as part of her sort of return after all her surgeries but she had to cancel it because she just wasn't ready but when you're not ready you're not ready after an injury and it's not worth rushing it and finally have you heard the one about the Irish football match which went to penalties no I am not being racist here it was a football match played in Ireland which went to penalties final score 80-79 on penalties at one stage somewhere around the mid 40s a player missed but probably so shocked so did the player from the other team and so they carried on, player after player, until one of them did miss and the other one converted. 80-79. Wowee. I bet they had a very good night's sleep. 
And that has been your sport for this week. As balmy as ever, but I hope to bring a bit of flavour to those of you who aren't perhaps sports mad like what I is. Bye. 80-79? I reckon the penalty spot must have been completely worn out. Never mind the players. For those highlights, we go over to Dave with your postbag for this week. This is Postbag. Join in the discussion. Hello there, and a big welcome to your postbag. Majid Hussain kicks us off this week. I knew Majid at Exall Grange School and he gave me my first braille lesson at the age of nine. And he taught me the number sign. He started speaking in postbag, and he started to say, if you're listening to this in bed, have a nice sleep. That was very kind of you. Well, I listen to the BBC World Service in bed when I wake up in the middle of the night sometimes. And at the end of last week's postbag, Majid told you about the changes to BBC CWR. This week he says, Hi David, I hope you and all the listeners are well. This part of my message is speculation here. Saturday and Sunday, early breakfast may end. On to another question for you David. Could the audio quality of the podcast be improved? It sounds like an old-time AM radio. I hope all of you have had a great week and bonfire night. Please, everyone, take care. Majid Hussain. Thank you, Majid. I wonder what you're listening to on Outlook on. The sound quality from my smartphone isn't very good, but while I'm waiting for my wallet to arrive with a memory stick, I use Bluetooth to play it through a boombox and the quality is superb, but we will gladly send you Outlook on a memory stick in a plastic wallet each week. The quality is fantastic. You can buy a boombox to play it on from the, re- the resource centre. They're not expensive. Uh, the small square one is about £22, and the larger one with a big yellow button on it, about three and a half inches square, that's the yellow button on the top is about £35. The engineers have been working on getting the quality of phone recordings for postbag uh, improved since the system has been changed. But keep phoning us on 024-76-717-522 and pressing 5 for Coventry Talking Newspaper. But please phone in with a hello or comment so we can check the quality. The sound quality was great at the Monday Club when visibly sound were entertaining. This is Julia's report. Visibly sound. They were sound all right, very sound. At the Monday Club they sang and we all cheered. There were lots of singers, Chris, Claire, Mark and his special friend Amy and many, many more. Far too many to mention. One of my favourite songs is Is This the Way to Amarillo? But I like the other songs, plus It's a Long Way to Tipperary. I never found out what a rare is, and why should you want to tip it? They don't write songs like that anymore. 
I believe it was written in a pub just outside Coventry. Of course I like the Bob Marley songs. Bob Marley is from Trenchtown in Jamaica. I like Jamaica. That's where coconut cakes grow on trees, you know. And I don't remember the Sir David Monk singing. It's not often that he passes up the chance for a sing, but it's not unusual. There you are, Dave. You can slip into your tightest leather pants and do your best Tom Jones. It's not unusual to be loved by anyone. It's not unusual to have fun with anyone. But when I see you hanging about with anyone, it's not unusual to see me cry. I wanna die. Julia says my friend John sometimes thinks he's Tom Jones, but don't tell him, he's more like Corporal Jones from Dad's Army. Have a lovely bonfire night and everybody stay safe from the fireworks. Lots of love, Julia. Thank you, Julia, and don't panic, Mr. Mannering. And now the cheery voice of Doreen Hilton. Hello everybody, it's our Doreen here again. I know I haven't been on for a while, but Doreen's been very busy at the moment, having the house done, and all plastering, and goodness knows what outside, but I'm sure, um, I hope you're all okay. Keep away from the burgy, whatever you do, because we don't want anybody poorly. Christmas is coming up, and we want to all have a good Christmas together with one another. Um, so... There you go, folk. I hope um, you're all trying to keep well in yourself, and I hope to be back to the centre shortly, because I haven't been because of the house being done over. But Doreen's fine, and I hope everybody else is too. Our day is working hard in the postback, and he wants some people to, you know, ring in and give him something to do, because he likes something to do. OK, all. Doreen's signing off. Take care. Bye. Thank you, Doreen. And Doreen hopes you won't get the dreaded lurgy. Well, Edwina has a use for those plastic COVID visors to protect your eyes from the smell of the furniture polish, etc. Hi there, it's Edwina. I've got um, another idea. What happened just recently, I have a lot of brasses in my hearth of my fireplace and on the shelf and on my antique furniture and every so often I have to have an hour or just over an hour cleaning the brasses. It is quite a long job but it's success and brightness of the brasses when you put them back is worth it. I asked my son Darren to fetch a new brasso bottle from the local shop because I've run out of brasso. And when I opened it, it seemed extra strong. The strong smell hit me in the eyes as well as the nostrils. 
So I thought, gosh, this is strong, and I put the cap back on quick. So I thought, what do I do? Do I still try and work when I know that it's making my eyes tear? And I remembered. If you think back to COVID, many of us had material face masks. But at the resource centre here in Coventry, they had masks that were full plastic with a piece like um, a hairband with fleece across the forehead and the plastic piece adjoined onto it. So it meant that it was comfortable round your head and the plastic covered your eyes, covered your nose, covered your face without being against your face mm. because it was on the edge of this fleece band. Mm. It enabled us to protect our eyes. We were free to talk, free to smell things and it was just freedom instead of being in the smaller material mask. At the time, I bought two. So I suddenly thought of that and I fished out one of the masks and put that on and happily cleaned my brosso. Since I've thought, right, I don't like using spray. I use ordinary polish because I've got oak furniture and antique. But I do use them in the kitchen because I've got natural wood cupboards upper and lower around the unit. Every so often I get the sheen out and I polish the wood of the doors. I can wear that mask now. That's another thing that's useful. So there you are. One of my ideas again. Take care then everybody. Bye. Thank you Edwina and that's all for this week. Can you please start sending in your Christmas messages so I can prepare them for the festive edition of Postbag along with your usual comments. Uh, what do you think of the U-turn on the decision to close the railway ticket offices in Coventry and anything else you want to talk about? OK, let's hear from you next time. Bye for now. This is Outlook. You can contact Postbag. Our website is www.talkingnewspaper.org.uk Our email address is postbag at talkingnewspaper.org.uk Join in the discussion on Postbag. So, uh, that's Dave with your postbag for this week. Now, you remember that last week... Sarah started her festive suggestions for Christmas entertainment around the city, which she now concludes. Well, hello there, and welcome to part two of What's On in Coventry at Christmas. And you lucky pantomime lovers, and you know from last week, I am sorry, but I'm not one of you. Anyway, your Christmas activities at the Albany Theatre 
Well, there are two actually, one in December and one in January. In December, we see Oliver Twist running from Saturday the 9th of December until Sunday the 31st. I assume they have a shutdown over Christmas. Now, this is a new version of Dickens' favourite, Oliver Twist. It's Christmas Eve. When fate throws together an unlikely group of rogues and to their astonishment they recognise each other. As children each one of them was part of Fagin's gang of pickpocketers and together bit by bit they start to reminisce and between them they put together the famous story of London's much celebrated child, Oliver Twist. Evening performances start at 7pm but there are of course matinees at 2pm and ticket prices are from just £15. Great! Now we have a cat meow. Yes, Puss in Boots is coming to the Albany, running from the 6th of January, which is a Saturday, until Sunday the 14th of January. Come and join us this Christmas for this perfect family community pantomime. Our swashbuckling hero is Puss in Boots, a crusader with a difference. He has boots, a swishing tail and is a cat. But he loves adventure with villains on the prowl. He has a lot to do to keep his village folks from disaster. Busy protecting his friends. Will Puss win the day? Well, who knows? Anyway, evening performances are at 7pm, but as usual at the Albany, there are matinees at 2pm. Ticket prices are from £19 for adults, £17 for children, but there are family discounts available. So, you know I'm sure by now the number to call. For further details or to book your ticket, 024-7699-8964. But I know the ticket office closes at 1pm every day. Meanwhile, also in January, but at Coventry's Warwick Art Centre, Dick Whittington is coming from Thursday the 4th of January until Sunday the 7th of January. So it's quite a short run really. But it still makes me shiver to see those dates 2024. Streets paved with gold? Who could resist? Well certainly not Dick Whittington. Join us in this fantastic adventure in the enchanted streets of London as Dick Whittington, our courageous cash-starved hero, 
embarks on a quest to find fame and fortune. Now, ticket prices depend on the day you want to go. On the Thursday, performances are from £14, but all other performances are from £16. As I say, performance times do vary, but do include matinees. So, if you want more details, again, you all know the number by now. 024-7649-6000. So, what a choice you've got this Christmas, you lovers of pantomime. You've got Cinderella, Oliver... Puss in Boots and Dick Whittington. Just call me your fairy godmother and I'll see you in a fortnight's time. Bye. Lots of choices there for both adult and children's fun around Christmas. Now Margaret continues uh, with her extracts from Coventry Echoes of the Past, written by Frank Roden, which this week is Early Days. Coventry had its beginnings in a clearing on a ridge in a land of forest and marsh. Who hacked out the first settlement, or when, is not known. The old Britons, perhaps, or the later Celtic immigrants. However, they chose an area unattractive to the Roman and early Anglo-Saxon invaders. It was situated away from the main trackways of the time and was a natural choice as a place of refuge. It had high ground to defend and an abundance of natural resources necessary for survival. A fast-flowing river, wildlife to hunt and trees for fuel and building. The hutments probably clustered around the site of the present council house in Earl Street. Although the Germanic invaders were not the founders of the settlement, it was from the Anglo-Saxons Coventreo, Covers Tree, that the name of Coventry derived. In such a richly forested area, the tree must have been remarkable, a landmark or boundary marker perhaps, singled out for its size and lofty locations. Coffer, him or herself, for a ruling position in the local hierarchy. In those days, only skill at arms or prominence in the pagan religion would have merited such note. Maybe councils of administration or war were held beneath its branches, or perhaps it was a focal point of pagan ritual. It would seem likely that Coffee's tree stood on or near the present site of Broadgate, for it was here, after the centuries of relative isolation in the trackless forest, that the settlement became the intersection point for the developing north-south-east-west trackways, Warwick to Tamworth and Leicester to Coleshill, the location of a major crossroads. Paul Meadow, now the city's coach and bus terminus, was once covered by a sheet of water known as St Osberg's Pool. St Osberg had founded a nunnery which probably reached down from Priory Row, northwards to the pool. It was here that Coventry first emerged into recorded history. 
In 1016, the marauding Danes, led by Canute and the Saxon traitor Edric Striona, rampaged through Warwickshire, sacking towns and villages. At Coventry, they raised the nunnery. Incredibly, from that sanguinary day almost a thousand years ago, a possible remnant is preserved in a glass case in the Herbert Art Gallery and Museum. It is a beautifully carved piece of pink sandstone, clearly depicting a squirrel gnawing on a nut, and in the corner, a field mouse curled up. It was found near the junction of Palmer Lane and Ironmonger Row, and is thought to have formed part of a Saxon cross, which was torn down by Canute's hordes outside the western gate of the nunnery. Kenneth Branagh has recently been starring and directing in three cinema films of Hercule Poirot from Agatha Christie Mysteries. But the actor best and long associated with Poirot character in television adaptations is undoubtedly Sir David Suchet and his little grey cells. Bill starts this article by Richard Barber about the definitive Poirot. Why did the world fall so deeply in love with Sir David Suchet? Hercule Poirot. After all, the famous Belgian detective, with whom he has become synonymous, is a fastidious, nickety, and whisper it, sometimes rather irritating little man. Yes, Agatha Christie, I've been told, grew sick and tired of him, actor tells the Daily Express. He was pompous, he could be arrogant, but he had impeccable manners always polite to everyone he encountered. When I first played him, I thought I might have made him a bit boring. The letters I get from fans all over the world tell me they love being in his company. I think he makes people feel safe. There's not one story in which evil wins. It's comforting family entertainment in what is sometimes an uncertain world. We are sitting today in Suchet's Pied-à-Terre, immaculate thirties mansion flat in south-west London, a hop and a skip from the banks of the Thames. He is in a reflective mood, as well he might be. We are talking, in part, about the reaction to his hit one-man show, Arrow and More, a retrospective. After playing to packed houses across the UK, and as far afield as Australia last year, he's due to pick up the reins once more in 2024. The whole journey has been quite an emotional one, he admits. In performance, I'm constantly reminded that my 53-year career has involved the most incredible roles. To share all this with so many different audiences has also made me aware that there are so many have not had my good fortune. This makes every performance poignant as well as hope entertaining. While the show encompasses his entire award-winning career, audiences are inevitably drawn to his portrayal over 25 years of the little Belgian detective. Fortunately, the 77-year-old says, he never tired of playing or talking about his most famous character. Not for one day, he continues. I knew that man inside out. I knew what he'd do from the minute he woke up each day to the minute he went to bed. What he'd eat for lunch, 
where he'd buy his clothes, what newspapers he'd read. But if Poirot existed, would the pair be close friends? I'm not sure, Suchet muses. I don't think I'd necessarily get on with him. Do have a lot of similarities. I'm naturally a very tidy person. The books on my shelves are arranged in height order, for instance. That said, there are a great deal of differences as well. I like symmetry. I think it's fair to say that Poirot would be diagnosed with OCD. Suchet laughs. I do love him. Sadly, fans have seen the last of him as the Belgian detective, apart from the repeats that regularly delight television audiences around the world. I was asked if I'd consider playing him in stories not written by Agatha Christie. I chose not to, he reveals, having donned the famous moustache, bow tie and cane for the final time in 2013, after a quarter of a century. The title of the programme was Agatha Christie's Poirot, and I portrayed the great detective in over 70 of those stories, every one that she wrote which involves him. It's a matter of public record, Duchesne's Poirot was a particular favourite of the late Queen, and especially of the late Queen Mother, he adds. She absolutely loved it. In fact, we sent her and the rest of the royal family one particular film. Thereby hangs a tale. The Queen would sometimes host small, intimate lunches at Buckingham Palace, and I was lucky enough to be invited to one. All went swimmingly at lunch, till the fruit course arrived. I was talking to the Duke of Edinburgh at the moment the fruit bowl reached me, he recalls. I didn't want to break eye contact with him, so I reached over my shoulder and found a picked a mango. Now, the only thing I knew about a mango was that it's best eaten in a bath, where you can make as much mess as you like. But I was at Buckingham Palace. So I made a snap decision. I turned to Prince Philip and said, Excuse me, sir, I think I might embarrass myself if I try to eat this mango. He picked up the cue immediately. Don't worry about that, he said. Give it to me and I'll show you how. So, in front of everybody, he demonstrated how to cut and peel a mango. He was incredibly dexterous throughout the process, at the end of which he looked at me and said, Voila! just like Poirot. Everyone laughed. After the lunch, Suchet rang his producer and told him they must insert a similar episode to one of the Poirot films, which is exactly what happened. The theft of the royal ruby was shot in 1991 and involved Poirot visiting a grand country house. He spies a mango in the fruit bowl when the owner says he has no idea to eat one, Hercule really demonstrates. The character eventually says, Good Lord, Poirot, where on earth did you learn how to do that? I replied, A certain duke taught me. Film, complete, we sent a copy to the palace. Forever after, whenever I was at a function attended by Prince Philip, he'd say, Ah, Mango Man.
Bill will complete the story of Suchet's 53 years of acting, including revealing his quirky royal nickname next week. Another famous man is the 137-metre-high Old Man of Hoy, one of the tallest sea stacks around the British Isles. Elaine tells us more about it and its first ascent by mountaineers in 1966. What is the Old Man of Hoy? It is one of Orkney's most famous landmarks. The sea stack is formed of old red sandstone and stands close to Rackwick Bay on the west coast of the island of Hoy. It is 449 feet or 137 metres high, one of the UK's tallest sea stacks and can be seen from the Scrabster to Stromness Ferry. It is popular with climbers and was first climbed by the UK's most famous mountaineer, Sir Chris Bonington, in 1966. He and colleague Tom Patey returned the following year and were part of the famous three-night live TV broadcast, The Great Climb. It was one of the most audacious BBC outside broadcasts ever undertaken. About 15 million people watched as the climbers ascended the spectacular stack. 16 tonnes of equipment were ferried 450 miles from the Firth of Clyde to Hoy in army landing craft to allow the programme to be filmed and broadcast live. Since then, hundreds of people have made it to the top, including Jesse Dufton, the first blind climber to lead an ascent. In 2014, Sir Chris marked his 80th birthday by returning to Orkney to climb the Old Man of Hoy 48 years after his first ascent. And three years later, a German adventurer, Alexander Schultz, became the first person to walk to and from the summit of the old man of Hoy on a high wire. And this year, at the end of August, a seven-year-old boy from America climbed the old man of Hoy, as reported by BBC Scotland News reporter Linda Sinclair. Cody Wisher scaled the sea stack with his father and three of his friends in early August. The Wisher family moved to Ayrshire from Missouri and have been exploring climbing routes around Scotland. Cody's father Bill described the sea stack as looking like a skyscraper in New York but made of stone. He said he was beside his young son on a separate rope, offering words of advice as they both climbed the sandstone stack. Cody told BBC Scotland News he was a bit scared at one stage as he did not want to make a jump off a boulder. But after he managed to make the move, he said he felt very proud of himself. Dan Bailey, the editor of UK Hillwalking, said it was the biggest sea stack in the UK and he was very impressed that any seven-year-old could physically get up the old man of Hoy and mentally manage it. I mean, it's a real achievement. 
Mr. Bailey said climbing on any sea cliff could be an overwhelming experience. You've got the wind. You've got the waves crashing below you. You've got the seabirds wheeling around you. The formers who nest on the ledges of the stack have a defence mechanism where they vomit a red, oily substance at climbers, who they see as intruders. Quite right. Cody said, this bird had a really good aim, and it spat on my face, right on my cheek, but at least he didn't poop on me. Mr. Wisher, who owns a sport climbing attraction back home in America, said the bid to reach the top almost never happened, as the group were facing the decision to abandon the climb in order to get the ferry back to the mainland in time. But during the climb, he received a phone call from the ferry company to say their sailing from Orkney to Caithness had been cancelled due to forecasted storm that evening. They continued. Before they had even got to the start of the climb, they had to go down a steep cliff and navigate what Bill said were boulders the size of cars. Young Cody started climbing at the age of two and already has a number of impressive sea stacks under his belt, including the equally daunting Old Man of Stir in Sutherland. He has now set himself a fresh target of climbing some of the other ten tallest sea stacks around the coastline of Scotland. Edward Mills had climbed the old man at the age of eight in 2018, while a boy called Roy Clarkson from Lancashire was reported to have scaled the stack at the age of seven in 1968. Would you like to venture up somewhere like that? I wouldn't. And I can remember seeing a wildlife programme with Bill Oddy in it, and he must have been in that area of Scotland because he was spat on quite fully by one of the formers. But it's certainly an achievement, and well done. Man, the sheer faces of the stack must be a daunting sight, even for experienced climbers. And now back to hurdy-gurdy days in Coventry with more from Alan. The morning after Dad brought the goat home, we could hear movements in the attic room above as soon it was daylight, and wondered what that animal looked like now. But we daren't open the bedroom door as we were alone, Mam having gone down early to wait for our dad. She had hardly slept a wink. At last we heard him go downstairs, the poor goat still away. Then we heard loud words from my mum soon as she opened the door. She shouted at the top of her voice, You can take that stinking thing out of here. It ain't having a bite in this house. Dad never answered her back. He was sober now. He quietly opened the door and went down the yard, dragging the poor animal with him. It must have been very hungry now. When our dad was sober, he was a different personality, altogether quiet and shy. Mam was the domineering one then. In about half an hour he had come back without the goat, having sold it for a shilling, or so he said, to one of his mates. It looked as if he had learned his lesson, but it was short-lived as the next day, which was payday, found him again in the pub, 
spending nearly all his wages, treating everybody to a drink. This meant another visit to Uncle's on Monday morning so ma'am could get some money to buy the food we needed. Sometimes she wished he would join the army like some of the other men in the street. Then she would have a bit of peace. The money was poor, but regular. They only got a shilling a day then. Whenever they had a row, he was always threatening to join up, but he was a short man and knew he wouldn't be tall enough. So ma'am had to put up with his drunken habits, as well as our grand's. Lots of his mates had allotments in the park, as in the courts they had no back door, let alone a garden, and it was a common sight to see them trundling their little trucks along the streets, full of vegetables and flowers, which they sold in the pub for a pint or two. The outskirts of Coventry were full of allotments then. Sweet Williams were the favourite flowers, and even to this day they remind me of that pub, especially the striped ones. Everybody in those days seemed to be struggling to earn a copper somehow. There was the knife grinder and scissor sharpener with his barrow. There were the Russian bears on chains, usually dancing to a mouth organ played by one man, another holding out his can for coppers. The German brass band with four or five men playing different instruments and another man collecting when the crowd gathered around. The tramp usually sang Rock of Ages or Abide With Me, Evading, evading the policeman. While we were feeling sorry for him, we were giving him the farthings we were saving to spend on sweets. Then along would come the hurdy-gurdy, with a little monkey on top, dressed in a bright red coat to keep him warm. How we loved that monkey, as the man would feed him with nuts. To our amusement, the monkey would sit there, taking the shells off the nuts, while the handle was turned to churn out the repertoire of music, like... Goodbye, Dolly Gray. Come into the garden, Maud. Alice, where art thou? And lots more favourites of the day. We all stood fascinated with the monkey finishing his nuts. He would come down from the top of the barrel organ with a long cord attached to a collar round his neck and jump amongst the crowd, the children shrieking with laughter at its antics. A cap would be placed on top of the organ for the money when all the tunes had been played. There always seemed to be plenty of coppers in the cap, as this was the biggest attraction of all the street entertainers. The monkey would then jump on top again, and off into the street, to play the tunes all over again. Sometimes, forgetting the time, he would follow, and so would lots more children. The hurdy-gurdy was often the cause of the cane being used for the latecomers at school. It was such an attraction for the children of all ages. We had very little money, but we did enjoy all the fun. We often went hungry, but everybody was poor, and we shared what little we had with one another. We played games such as five stones, which we collected and hopscotch with a stone and a piece of chalk. The next big attraction was the rag and bone man shouting out, Any old rags or bones? Any old rags or bones? With coloured balloons all festooned over his cart, and goldfish in jars of water in exchange for bundles of rags and the best woollens. We would dash up into the yard and into the house for a few rags, woollens or rabbit skins to get a balloon or a jar of goldfish. Our man would shout, Oh, go on me yet. I heard him. I ain't got any rags for him. But we would say, Oh, go on, ma'am. Oh, you're a nuisance. But somehow she managed to find some odds and ends after ransacking all the drawers, and we ran down the yard 
Mrs. Trapp would shout. Here are, both of you. Take him, those. Throwing us a bundle of rags, and off we would race, so excited, to the rag and bone man, still shouting further down the street, with children running in out of the doors and courts with small bundles in their arms. But the goldfish in the glass jars always seemed to stay on his cart. Without looking to see what each child had brought him, he would give him a balloon. Goodness knows what was required for his goldfish. Ma'am said he was a twister, and never gave them away, even if you gave a new suit, which was probably right. Last weekend, of course, was Remembrance Day, and fortunately all went off solemnly and peacefully at the half. And at the same time, Armistice Day was remembered here at the Resource Centre, highlighted with a poppy cascade. Dave brings us this report. Hello, welcome to the Coventry Resource Centre for the Blind on Armistice Day. And there's a notice here that says, at the going down of the sun, we will remember them. The first thing I saw when I entered the car park was a host of poppies on and around the tree near the exit. They were mostly made from the bottoms of soft drink bottles and put on sticks and then painted. There were stalls with poppy-related memorabilia, a mannequin in a poppy-covered dress, tea, coffee and flapjacks made by Hugh, and cakes for sale. There was wartime music being played, and the centrepiece was a wonderful cascade of poppies coming down from the corner of Boston Lodge, from near the top of the adjoining window and spreading out on the ground. I asked Jo to talk about how she instigated this wonderful, significant event. Um, I swayed the uh, craft group after swaying Hugh to say yes. Um, so yes, so the craft group got really involved, so that was the start of it then. And then it picked up and this is what you see tonight. You can talk about this wonderful cascade of poppies. Yeah, there's over three and a half thousand poppies on there. They've been made by um, a couple of WIs, Finham WI and Earlston WI some independent people in the community and also not forgetting our craft group um, and centre users that are blind and partially sighted um, and they have all helped in putting them on the net as well so that's been lovely it's been a full involvement and a group a group effort yeah I, I was speaking to Chris Norman so what, what do you think of all the, the kind of the set up today and the uh, to do with the armistice. It's I mean, wonderful. It's, it's lovely. The um, the amount of effort that people have put in to making these, you know, the poppies, and you mentioned Julie's made 35, Joe sourced the cam in from somewhere. There was a fellow came in from, um, I think he was from the TA that came in yesterday. Yeah. No, so. he was from the King Street Royal Horse Artillery. Oh, really? All right. Yes, he was on my barrack. The horses are Really? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, the horses are used for the gun carriages, um, oh, and they're also used for the coffin carriage. They, the King Street have the coffin carriage. Oh, so okay. the coffin carriage that the Queen was on, Diana, um, that was all the King Street. Yeah, wow. and the King Street horses. So, yeah, I've known him 30 odd years oh, ago when we lived on the army barracks together. Wow. wow. So, yeah. Okay, I'm speaking to Joe. So, so what inspired you to do this 
big, big uh, commemoration of Armistice Day at the Resource um, Centre with this lovely poppy cascade. Well, I'm always um, doing something for the army um, as an ex-army wife. Um, every year at Christmas I knit little booties and I put chocolate in and a letter wishing them a Merry Christmas and they're for the troops that don't get home at Christmas. Yes, yes. So, um, and they come out up they come out up to about a thousand that yes. I send out um, and the soldiers write back to me saying thank you and it was really nice of them, you know, to receive it. Um, and then just standing outside here one day I thought this would look lovely as a poppy drop, um, as a cascade. I wonder if we could do it. And then I spoke to Hugh and he went, I think we could. And I said, OK then, that sounds good to me. So um, the rest is history really. The craft group got on board, everyone got on board. And uh, it's been marvellous. Yeah. I, I, you know, it just looks stunning. You can't ask for it to look any better. Yeah, so. And it's nice to have people's support. And there are some tables outside the resource centre, uh, 117 coffee and flapjacks, etc. And uh, I'm sitting at a table with two little trees, and there are some cards you can hang on them with, with poppies on, and uh, you can write on the back, a, uh, you can remember someone you've lost. In my case, Sheila. Well, it's starting to get dark now, and the poppy cascade is being illuminated with lights, and it looks really beautiful. Hi, okay, I'm outside the resource centre. I'm speaking to a lovely lady called Pinky. So, so what did you do to help the actual the, the, the cascade of, of poppies? I helped put them on. And in keeping with the occasion, there's a British bulldog walking around by the name of Lola. I'm speaking to Peggy Bloom of the Monday Club. So, so what do you think of it all? I think it's brilliant, David. Yes. It's so clever to what they've done. Yes. I mean, when you look at the garden and the cartons there made into poppets, yes. absolutely gorgeous. And then coming off the chimney, it really is lovely. I'm so glad they're leaving it for a week so yes. that everybody can see it. Yes. But I just wish more people were here. Yes. I met two young students, a couple who had popped in. When walking past the resource centre, the young man made this comment after showing me a photograph of poppies he'd taken that were painted in front of the war memorial in the memorial park. I, I think yeah, all this kind of commemoration uh, celebration is important for especially for the later generations. Yeah. But in this picture I can see that because of the, the sacrifice, the contribution of the late soldiers and gen generals so that children can play happily enjoy the peaceful life today. What's your names, by the way? Uh, my English name Godfrey. Yes. Is it? Yeah, my English name is Godfrey. Yeah, my, my Chinese name is Hao Chi. Is it Hao Chi? Yeah. Alright, it's not nice to meet you both. Thank you very much for speaking to us.
shall not grow old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning we will remember them. Thank you and that's all from the wonderful Armistice Commemoration at Coventry Resource Centre the Blind. Bye bye. A time of thoughts for those who gave their lives for our freedom. Just before we go, I have a message from the RNIB asking if you know a visually impaired child who would like to hear from Santa. I recorded this earlier from the RNIB's most recent newsletter. Do you know a blind or partially sighted child who would like to write to Santa and receive a letter back in their preferred reading format? RNIB elves are eagerly waiting to help out once again and ensure no one misses out on the magic of Christmas. There are a few different ways you can contact Santa. Please send your letters to Santa at the following address. Santa Claus, RNIB, Northminster House, Northminster, Peterborough, PE11YN. And letters must be received by Friday the 1st of December. Please ensure also the following information is included. The child's name and delivery address. Your contact telephone number in case one of our elves has a query. Whether the child would like a reply in English or Welsh. What format the child requires. And you can choose from uncontracted braille grade 1. Contracted Braille, Grade 2 Large Print, but please specify the font size required or Audio CD You can also request a letter via our website which is www.rnib.org.uk backslash Santa Applications this way must be made by Friday the 1st of December Alternatively, you can receive a letter from Santa via email. Contact Santa at santa at rnib.org.uk. Requests for this must be received by Tuesday the 19th of December. So get in touch with the RNIB and make a young person very happy this Christmas. Now that concludes Outlook for this week, so until next week from me, Nigel Hewin, and all the Outlook team, it's goodbye for now.